Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Trish, your bartender for today. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender for today. And today we bring you the case of Meredith Hunter. It is from the Altamount, Altamont, Altamount Music Festival. It's one of the first kind of music festival killings. Yeah. That's really kind of known about, I guess you could say. It, um, it's actually pretty popular. You've probably seen it without knowing that you've seen it because this killing was actually recorded at the music festival and the Rolling Stones used it in their Give Me Shelter documentary and music video. So, like, I know that I've seen the music video before, but I've never really watched it. I didn't understand until I read slash heard this story. So, you... You're probably aware of this case without knowing that you're aware of this case. Yeah. Definitely grab you a cocktail, settle down, put on your listening ears. It's going to be a short and sweet one, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome back to another round of cocktails with your bartender for today, Trish. And today I'm going to do, I've seen it with a few different names, but pretty much it's a honey, like, margarita sound. We love margaritas around here. It probably sounds a little weird because you think margaritas, like, sour, tart, but... Well, you You usually use use agave to sweeten, so it's kind of like, but it's a very simple, (laughs) it's a very simple, like, three ingredient recipe. You just need tequila, honey, and lime juice, actually. And what the recipe calls for, at least what I did, was two ounces of tequila just shy of an ounce of lime juice and then same with your honey i feel like the honey you can kind of do to taste what i read it was like 0.75 of both the lime juice and the honey and i felt like that made the drink really sweet so i feel like if you want to be a little more tart maybe go up on your lime juice and a little less on the honey Or, you know, if you do like sweeter drinks, keep it as is. But this is one that you can definitely play around with, figure out what's going to be your perfect ratio. And it's a real good one. You know, it's getting warmer out. It's springtime. We want something kind of sweet to start drinking on. So, like I said, three little ingredients, short, sweet, to the point. Definitely enjoy it and... Sit back and listen to some true crime. Welcome back to another case with Sloan. Today I'm bringing you the story of Meredith Curley Hunter Jr. He was born on October 24th of 1951 in Berkeley, California. He was also known by to many as Murdoch, so that's what I call him for most of this case, Murdoch. 
and family and friends described him as a very flashy dresser with a big afro and perhaps an over-exaggerated swagger for an like a teenager because he's like 18 years old at this time and they were just like you know for him being tall and lanky and compared to the other awkward teenagers his age like he just had a lot of natural swagger to him yeah but he also had a very tough childhood his mother was a prostitute who suffered from schizophrenia and he was also named after his father a native american who abandoned the family when Hunter was young. So he was mixed ethnicity too, which made things a little bit more difficult for him. Yeah. His older sister took responsibility for raising him, but she did end up leaving the house at a pretty young age when their mother became involved with an abusive pimp. Hunter started getting into trouble with the law when he was eight, when he was 11 and spent much of his teen years in juvenile halls. In December of 1969, Murdoch and his girlfriend, Patty Bredhoff, Breedhoff traveled with friends slash another couple, Ronnie Brown, a.k.a. Blood, and Judy, no last name given. Their destination was the Altamont Free Concert. So, I feel like it's kind of important to note that Patty, his girlfriend, is white. Murdoch is a mixed man. Yeah. Who is predominantly African-American looking. And this is the late 1960s. So, you know, controversial. Right. And they are heading to a rock and roll festival. And even Murdoch was like, I don't even really like the Rolling Stones, which is who was headlining this concert. But he saw it as a day of spending the day with his friends, doing some fun drugs, listening to music, chilling out, having fun. Meanwhile, his sister Dixie warned him about the still very prevalent racism in the outer reaches of Alameda County. Alameda, Alameda. Which is when he decided to carry his 22 Smith & Wesson revolver for protection to the festival with them. She was especially concerned because her brother was going to be in the minority with his white girlfriend. Yeah. Which just kind of put targets on their backs in, her, in the sister's opinion. So, the Altamont Festival show, I saw it called Both Things... It was kind of billed as the Woodstock West, and it was very hastily planned. Um, it took place just a few short months after the Woodstock Festival, which is why they, like, rushed to put it together. They saw how the success successful it was, how popular it was, and they were like, hey, let's have an Altamont Speedway free festival. So this is at a racetrack okay. that they're hosting this. They settled on the racetrack just two days prior to the concert beginning after several other locations fell through. The Rolling Stones hired the Hells Angels to provide security in exchange for beer. So the Hells Angels was paid with like $500 worth of beer to protect the stage because the stage was like six inches off of the ground in the middle of this racetrack. And so the Hells Angels drove up, they parked their bikes in front of the stage, and then they were the next wall of protection right there. Also, I just want to note that $500 back then is the equivalent of $3,830 in today's monies. So they drank like $4,000 worth of beer for security. I'll do that for tequila. Right? Rolling Stones, hit me up. (laughs) I'll do it. I will do it. 
But like I was saying, the Hells Angels were standing directly in front of the bands in an effort to keep people off of the unusually low stage. They even parked their motorcycles in front of the stage to act as an additional barrier, barrier to the crowd. The problem with this situation is that the Hells Angels were paid with beer. I was like, I feel like this is not equate a good like security team. Precisely. So as they became intoxicated <laughs> and the and the crowd became restless and unpredictable, the Hells Angels began hurling full cans of beer from oh, their stockpile, God. hitting concert goers with motorcycle chains, and they even used sawed off weighted pull cues to drive the crowd back from the stage and their motorcycles. Not even Marty Marty Balin, a singer in the Jefferson Airplane, was spared. He noticed that there was a scuffle happening right in front of the stage, so he kind of like jumped off the stage in the middle of his performance to try to stop it because it was overly aggressive. Yeah. And a biker knocked him unconscious. And the show went on without him. Jesus. So by the time that the Rolling Stones took the stage, the mood had taken a decidedly ugly turn as numerous fights began erupting between the Angels and the crowd members. Denise Jukes of local San Francisco rock band The Ace of Cups was hit in the head by an empty beer bottle thrown from the crowd, thrown from the Hells Angels into the crowd and suffered a skull fracture that warranted emergency surgery. She was six months pregnant at the time. Oh, jeez. So, the Rolling Stones, they arrive by helicopter, and as they're getting off the helicopter, Mick Jagger is actually punched in the face by a concert goer uh -oh. within seconds of getting off the helicopter. But once he took the stage, he urged the audience to just cool down in the front down there. Just don't push around. Just, you know, calm down. Everything's fine. And as the Stones started performing the third song in their set for the night, Sympathy for the Devil, a fight erupted in the front of the crowd. They stopped the song and again urged the crowd to calm down before they finally restarted the song. They were able to get through a few more songs in without major incident, but as they started playing Under My Thumb, Murdoch climbed on top of one of the speakers, speaker boxes next to the stage. Two of the Hells Angels got into a scuffle with him, one of them grabbing his head, punched him, and then chased him back into the crowd where four more angels descended upon him. After a few seconds, Murdoch ang angrily returned to the front of the stage. Patty was following him this time, begging him to calm down and move further back in the crowd with her. She said he was enraged, irrational, and so high he could barely walk. And also, way after the fact, she also says that in this time period here yeah. is when Murdoch went out to the car to retrieve his gun. So... Grateful Dead associate Rocky Scully noticed Murdoch in the crowd, concluding that, quote, I saw what he was looking at, that he was crazy, he was on drugs, and that he had a murderous intent. There was no doubt in my mind that he intended to do terrible harm to Mick or somebody in the Rolling Stones or somebody on that stage, end quote. But also another witness, standing fairly close to Hunter as well, said that he looked pretty straight, though he was definitely upset about the violence that was inflicted upon him rightfully so yeah footage from the documentary shows murdoch easily identifiable in his bright lime green suit and i'll have a picture of this little cutie patootie on our instagram and all that stuff it is a 
stellar suit. Like, <laughs> I, I want this suit. But from the documentary, you can see him in the lime green suit drawing what appears to be a long-barreled blue steel 22 caliber revolver from his jacket and pointing it in the air. From the film, you can also see what seems to be an orange flash leaving the muzzle of the revolver in one frame. But due to the quality of the film, it's 1969. Due to the quality of the film, it's hard to tell if the orange was a glare on the barrel from the lights on the stage and all that stuff. Or if it was him shooting up into the air and it was the gun going off. The film then shows Hell's, Hell's Angel Alan Pissarro armed with a knife running at Hunter from the side, parrying the gun with his left hand and stabbing Murdoch with his right. Next in the film sequence, you see a six-foot opening in the crowd appear, leaving Patty in the middle. Hunter enters the opening from the left side. His hand rises, and the silhouette of the revolver is clearly seen against Patty, uh, Patty's bright crocheted vest. Alan Pissarro is seen entering the clearing from the right side and delivered two more stabs as he pushed Murdoch off screen of the documentary. As soon as this happens, the opening around Patty closes back in around her. Like, how fucking terrifying would that be? Yeah. And then the concert continued until the end like nothing happened. As Hunter laid there dying, he reportedly told his attackers that he did not intend to shoot anyone... A biker stepped on his head at this point and warned bystanders not to try to save him. Quote, don't touch him. He's going to die. End quote. He was eventually taken to a tent where he passed away waiting for an ambulance to take him to the hospital. Alan Pissarro was reported to have stabbed Murdoch five times in the upper back. Witnesses also reported that he was stomped on by several Hells Angels afterwards while he was on the ground. The gun was recovered and turned over to police immediately. And the autopsy later confirmed that he had meth in his bloodstream at the time of his death. Alan Bissaro was arrested and charged with murder with the murder of Meredith Hunter, but he was acquitted on the grounds of self-defense after the jury viewing the footage from the concert showed Hunter drawing the revolver and pointing it towards the stage or in the air. The Rolling Stones have stated that they were unaware that a killing had taken place during their set. In the Give Me Shelter documentary, Jagger notices the commotion in the crowd and threatens to end the performance until a stagehand pulls him aside and informs him about someone with a gun. The film then cuts to Jagger, viewing raw footage of the killing, apparently for the first time. In 1995, Jagger commented on Murdoch's murder in an interview with the Rolling Stone publisher, Jan Wenner, who asked, after the concert itself, when did it become apparent that somebody got killed and how did you feel? Jagger replied, well, awful. I mean, just awful. You feel a responsibility. How could it have been so silly and wrong? But I didn't think of these things that you guys thought of, you and the press, this great loss of innocence, this cathartic end of the era. I didn't think any of that. That particular burden didn't weigh on my mind. It was more awful. It was to have had this experience and how, how awful it was that someone got killed. Because after this, all of the media was saying this was the end of the music festival era. Yeah. So that's what he was referencing there. Shortly after Murdoch's death, his mother, Altha Mae Anderson, requested that Altamont Raceway be turned into a public park to prevent any more wrongful deaths at Altamont. County officials later voted to allow the, race, the raceway to continue hosting races, but barred future concerts there and restricted the number of attendees to 3,000 people. 
1985, Alan Pissarro drowned in Anderson Lake. Police said the death was kind of suspicious, but foul play was never confirmed. My mouth does not want to work today. Over the years, there have been rumors that a second unidentified assailant inflicted the fatal wounds. As a result, the police still considered the case open until May 25th of 2005. The Alameda County Sheriff's Office announced that it was officially closing the case. This was after a two-year recent investigation that dismissed the theory that a second Hells Angel took part in the stabbing. And then lastly, in 2006, filmmaker Sam Green released a documentary titled Lot 63, Grade Grace C, which revolves around the last day of Murdoch's life and the unmarked grave in which he was buried in December 10th, 1969. After the film was screened at film festivals, several people sent donations to the cemetery to buy Meredith Hunter a headstone, which was installed in 2008. And that is my case for you today. I know this was super short, super sweet. <laughs> I mean, it's not sweet because it's but, a case. Like, yeah. But, like, this was just kind of a palate cleanser after my Pearl High School shooting case. For me personally, maybe you need it too. <laughs> and, like I said, this is one of those things. I just, I was looking up random topics trying to find something. And I was looking up me- uh, music festival murders. And this yeah. one popped up. And I saw that it was actually recorded by like the Rolling Stones and I was like WTF and I looked into it and there's not like a ton of information other than we know that it was recorded yeah but I still felt like this was a decent story to cover so I hope that you enjoyed it and we'll kick you off to the last call welcome back to another last call with your bartender Trish and for this one I kind of went back and forth on what I wanted to do. There is a case in Alabama that has recently broken um, that I really thought about maybe kind of going over that. But then I was like, no, I'll leave it in case it becomes something and we can cover it for an actual case. So instead, I went back to, you know, old faithful Florida man. And this is... 60 times Florida man did something so crazy, we had to read the headings twice. Now, I'm not going to read all of these, but there's some there's some good ones. So, the very first one is titled, Lucky Shirt. And the thing reads, Florida man wears fuck the police shirt to court and wins case. <laughs> Uh, oh, Florida man. Yep. Number two, killer squirrel. Florida man attacked during selfie with squirrel. <laughs> uh, number three, telltale signs. Florida man in, no, seriously, I have drugs t shirt arrested for possession of drugs. <laughs> the shirt literally reads, Who needs drugs? No, seriously, I have drugs. <laughs> uh, number four, best use for a private plane. Florida man suspected of using private plane to draw giant radar penis. <laughs> Flying alligators. Florida man charged with assault with a deadly weapon after throwing alligator through Wendy's drive-thru window. I do remember this. Yes. 
Number six, Modern Robin Hood. Florida man steals a car, realizes a baby is in it, drops baby off safely, and makes his getaway. I mean, at least he has a conscience. Number seven, experienced detective. Florida cop claims Burger King put dirt on his food. and <laughs> Investigation reveals it was seasoning. <laughs> See, just a little seasoning. I love the little, there's like, they put like little, um, like Twitter comments that were made on it. And it goes, I bet this guy is really good at solving crimes. (laughs) 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 Oh no, here's the even better one to go with the seasoning. Was it classified as assault? Number eight, shooting down the weather. Thousands of gun owners in Florida planning to shoot down Hurricane Irma. (laughs) I wish that worked. Right? Number nine, hospital wait. Florida man gets tired of waiting at hospital, steals ambulance, drives home. (laughs) What? I mean, gotta get home somehow, I guess. Right? Number 10, cleverest camo. Florida man tries to rob GameStop while wearing transparent bag on his head. (laughs) Sir, that's not quite how that works. Hanging out is the next one. Florida man breaks into jail to hang with friends. (laughs) Sir. (laughs) Sir. Great life decisions. Number 12, leaving crab, leave crabs alone. Florida man apparently painting anti-Hillary messages on Tampa Bay crabs. Why why you gotta bring the crabs into it? (laughs) Number 13, bestest canine. Florida man hides in swamp after high-speed police chase gets stuck and licked by police dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Number 14, mode of transportation. Florida man who tried to run to Bermuda in inflatable bubble rescued by Coast Guard again. The fact that there's... And again. (laughs) Sir. (laughs) And someone even goes, again? (laughs) Yes. Uh, and I think I'm going to end it with number 15, and it's that surely does not count. Florida man denies drinking and driving, says he only swigged bourbon at stop signs. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... I mean he's not wrong. And someone even t- commented, well, technically... <laughs> anything else fails just you know florida man it'll never disappoint (laughs) uh so on that note we'll let you go for today be sure to check us out every tuesday and friday 
be sure to check out our social medias. It's all tequila she wrote. We also have our email, tequila she wrote at gmail.com. Whatever you're listening on, be sure to rate, review, all that good stuff. Really helps us out. We have our Patreon. <laughs> it is tequila she wrote. You can subscribe for $2 a month is the lowest tier. Each tier on top of that comes with more bonus content, merchandise, all that stuff. But the bottom tier, $2 will get you one bonus episode a month, ad-free episodes, and all that good stuff. And we will see you next time. Yep. Yeah.